0: Welcome to What's the Deal, our investment banking podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In each episode of What's the Deal, we'll explore the trends that are driving deal-making and transforming industries today.
1: Hello, and welcome back to What's the Deal. I'm your host today, Kathleen Darling, a member of J.P. Morgan's Debt Capital Markets team. I'm excited to welcome back Todd Rothman, a Managing Director with our Leverage Finance Capital Markets Group, to discuss the sentiment and activity in both the leveraged loan and high-yield markets. Todd, welcome back to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Kathleen. Great to be back.
1: We have really seen a pendulum swing in markets over, call it a week's time frame. So I think it's important to first set the stage for our audience in terms of October performance and drivers thereof. When we last spoke with Brian Tramatozzi towards the end of September, he discussed how lenders in the leveraged loan market and investors in the high-yield market were showing a constructive bias and a willingness to take on more risk post-Labor Day was supporting market backdrops as evidenced by 58% of loans trading above 99 and the JP Morgan Global Dollar High Yield Index sitting at roughly 8.8%, which was 100 basis points inside the high for the year at the time. However, sentiment quickly changed with conflicts arising in the Middle East the 10-year Treasury crossing the 5% threshold for the first time since 2007, and key economic data coming in hotter than expected, further emphasizing this notion that rates may need to remain higher for longer. Let's start off by contextualizing for our audience what we saw in both the leveraged loan and high-yield markets in October.
2: Sure, I'm happy to. I think it's important that we start with the precipitous move that we saw in Treasuries. If we go back to end of September, we had a 10-year that was sitting at 4.6%. If you roll the clock forward to the end of October, we were just north of 5%. That was the first time, as you said, since 2007 that we hit that level. So not only was it a large move in terms of numbers, but also psychologically had a lot of impact on market sentiment. To give you a little bit more context there, if you go back to July, the 10 year was actually just below 4%. So we're looking at a 100 basis point move in base rates in just over four months. The ramp that we saw in the 10 year can likely be attributed to really a few things. First and foremost, I think, was the economic data that we saw, which pointed to a much more resilient economy than the market was really expecting. And that took both the risk and some of the fear of a recession off the table. The other couple things were around the sheer volume of treasuries that need to be issued and some of the supply demand concerns that the market had there. And finally, what the market's experiencing is a bit of a shift in the buyer base for treasuries. A lot of the typical players, sovereigns and the like that were traditional buyers of treasuries are stepping back. And so that's created even further supply demand imbalance, which has helped push rates a bit higher. Away from rates, the other dynamic that we saw play out over the course of September and October was around VIX or the volatility index. In September, we were sitting at multi-year lows of 13 to 14. We saw that climb over 75% to 20 by the end of October. So if you combine the run-up in treasuries, the overall market volatility, the end result was seeing markets trade off fairly meaningfully and fairly quickly.
1: This is great. Now let's talk about how these drivers have impacted both the leveraged loan and high yield market.
2: So with that market backdrop, maybe I'll start on the bond market and then we'll move over to the leveraged loan market after that. So the bond market, in particular for tight spread double B rated credits, that market is a lot more sensitive to the move that we see in base rates. So if you take that, the market volatility, the way that manifested itself was over an eight week period, we saw high yield mutual funds experience outflows of over $12 billion. So you take that, you take the macro backdrop, and the end result was a big move in both the high-yield index and a slowdown in new issuance. So case in point, the first week of October, we actually didn't see a single high-yield bond deal print. You'd have to go back to the regional bank crisis at the end of March for the last time that we saw a regular market week without any issuance. The rest of October... Nearly half the deals that did come, they came at the wide end of price talk or wide of price talk, another sign that the market was shifting away from issuers. And then the high yield index in secondary, we saw a pretty meaningful move there. We started out at just over 9% in September, and we widened out nearly 65 basis points to 9.7% at the bottom in October. Spreads, on the other hand, did offer a bit of solace to issuers. At the end of October, we were sitting in around a 475 basis point spread level. If you compare that to historical periods, the average non-recessionary average high yield spread is around 550 basis points. And for recessionary periods, it's 980 basis points. So from a spread perspective, it did look quite attractive for issuers to enter the market and to raise capital. But we did see a bit of sticker shock set in and a number of issuers saying, I don't want to take those higher coupons in this environment. I'm going to wait. The other thing that that told us was "With spreads that tight. The market's probably not pricing in that material or that near term, a recession or other geopolitical events that could upset the market. So now if we turn to the leveraged loan market, very similar to what I described on the high yield bond side, September was a really robust for leveraged loans. So a couple of things to note that were going on. One, we had very strong CLO formation, one of the strongest months that we've seen of the year. We had north of 26% of the loan market trading above par in secondary. So a really strong sign for the robustness of the market there. And the end result of all that, between new CLO formation, a strong secondary market, we actually saw two things happen. One, we had one of our highest volume months of the year in terms of new facilities. We had roughly $59 billion come through the market. That compares to a monthly average this year of just about $25 billion. The other thing going on was 40% of that volume was actually related to term loan repricing to where we took the margin down from existing levels for borrowers. Roll the clock forward to October, and similar to what I talked about in the high-yield bond market, A lot of the same outcomes happened here. So we went from 26% of the loan market trading above par all the way down to 4%. We went from 40% of deals being repricing related down to no repricing deals at all. And the other thing that we saw very similar to the bond market, 50% of the loans that did price in October came at the wide end or wide of price talk.
1: Great. Now taking us to present day, the 10-year Treasury rallied roughly 30 basis points since October 27th, closing out the week of October 30th at around 4.5 percent. This rally was largely driven by the Fed choosing to hold rates steady at their November 1st meeting, overall softer labor data, and a smaller than anticipated Treasury refunding size. Can you talk about how markets have responded to this?
2: Sure. So I think the Fed holding rate steady was really already priced in by the market. Some of the comments by Chairman Powell, however, did point towards a more dovish tone as he mentioned that their efforts to bring down inflation had made meaningful progress and that they'd continue to monitor the data to see their path forward. With that sentiment, traders are now pricing in a virtual certainty that the Fed is going to hold rate steady in December That's only picked up in recent weeks as we've seen more data, seen more Fed speak. And this view is also in line with J.P. Morgan economic forecast that the Fed is likely to hold steady on rates for the remainder of this year and then start to take action late in 2024 with their first rate cut. In conjunction with the Fed meetings last week, we've seen payroll data, jobs data that continues to point towards a message that the market is believing is saying the Fed is likely done. And if they're not done, they're close to done in terms of rate hikes. And it's also provided more comfort to the market that a recession is not a near-term event and that if there is one, it is more likely than not to be a soft landing than a hard landing. So the result of the economic data and treasury tightening has been that we've seen a big rally in secondary markets, both on the high-yield bond and the leveraged loan side over the course of the past week. The hope here is that that is going to start moving some issuers on the bond side to come off the sideline to address their refinancing needs. And we've already started to see that a fair bit this week with a big pickup in volume versus last week. The high yield index from a secondary standpoint has also proved this out. So we've seen a meaningful 60 basis point move down to inside of nine and a quarter percent on the JP Morgan high yield index. And then on a similar note, we saw high yield spreads tighten roughly 35 basis points last week as well. So those now sit around 450 basis points. Back to my comment earlier, that's still sitting well below recessionary and non-recessionary levels. And then on the loan side, we've seen the exact same thing. So after having 11 consecutive sessions of secondary loan levels trade downwards, we saw secondary start to trade up towards the end of last week, and that's continued into this week. Case in point, back to my stat around loans trading above par again. So if we bottomed out at 4% in October, we're now back up to 10% of loans trading above par. Not quite at the 26% that we hit in September, but potentially signaling the beginning of September part two for the loan market as well.
1: If we think about it, there are really two market windows before year end for companies to transact roughly two weeks before Thanksgiving, and then call it three weeks before the December holidays. What is your message to companies now in terms of executing on these windows of opportunity?
2: So the first message is that markets are completely open right now. What we're talking about is optimization on pricing and terms. And what we constantly remind our borrower and issuer clients is that volatility can rear its head at any time. And if you need the money, go take it when it's there. So some of the themes that we talked about last time, Kathleen, you and I spoke, and throughout the year on the loan side, we still talk about roughly 40% of CLOs reaching the end of their reinvestment period at the end of this year. That'll grow to slightly more than half at the end of next year. The good news is, as I mentioned before, September and the end of the summer were really good new CLO formation windows, slowed down a bit in October, starting to pick up again in November. But the question for the loan market remains— Will new CLO formation be able to completely make up for the amount that is going out of reinvestment period? And as a reminder, CLOs make up about two thirds of the buyer base for leveraged loans. So on the loan side, we continue to encourage our borrower clients that there is a first mover advantage to taking care of your refinancing needs or any capital raising needs that you have today when you know what the market looks like. Similarly, on the bond side, For several quarters, we've been talking about above average cash balances that high yield mutual funds were sitting on. When we got to the end of Q3, for the first time in a couple of years, we actually dipped below the long term average and we're kind of sitting around three and three quarter percent cash balances right now. Still very good, but not as lofty as it was before. What is helpful for the technical and the high yield bond market is that we've had a number of repayments. And then you've also had a number of large rising stars that exited the high yield market as they migrated up to the investment grade market. So as I said before, markets are open. There is cash out there. The buy side is waiting for new deals to come through. The final point to take into consideration there is that we have a really, really light M&A pipeline of underwritten deals that are due to come to market. If you look at that across both loans and bonds, In the U.S., it's only roughly $11 billion. If you add Europe in, it's only another couple billion euros. Compare that to the post-COVID peak in 2022, we hit $110 billion then. So the pipeline here is really, really small, which means that the cash is looking for a home and does create good conditions for borrowers to access the loan market and issuers to access the high-yield bond market.
1: As we wrap up this episode, there's approximately $740 billion of 2025 and 2026 maturities across leveraged loans and high-yield bonds. As companies move towards year-end and start planning for calendar year 2024, do you have any thoughts on how companies with either a 2025 or 2026 maturity should be thinking about addressing these?
2: So, it's really interesting. Obviously, we've dealt largely with 2023 and 2024. I don't think most people realize that we've already addressed a third of the 2025 maturities with refinancing activity that we've done over the course of this year. What surprises a number of people is the sheer number of companies that are already proactively looking at 2026 as well. Close to half of what we've done this year has not only addressed 24 and 25 maturities, but actually started going after 2026 maturities as well. So we continue to encourage our borrower and our issuer clients to think along those lines. We talked about the CLO reinvestment period fall off. So in terms of addressing the remaining 2025 and 2026 maturities, and by the way, I think by the time we get into next year, we may start talking about 2027 maturities as well. The themes remain the same. So we just talked about the CLO reinvestment period and the importance for borrowers in that market to take advantage of the first mover advantage that's out there. On the high-yield bond side, one of the trickiest things we've had to manage as treasuries have continued to gap out, even though spreads have remained relatively tight, we've had to get a number of high-yield issuers comfortable with the concept that a 6% and change coupon that was available a year ago, had become 7% in change this year, and now in some instances maybe as high as 8% or higher. October was the first month that we saw the B high yield index close above 8% since 2009. And so one of the things that we remind people of is that we are in a higher rate environment, and even if one does believe in the concept that rates are going to start getting cut towards the back end of next year, The sheer volume of treasury issuance that needs to take place means that base rates are likely to remain higher for longer. And therefore, this is a new normal in terms of pricing dynamic for issuers in the high-yield market. And finally, windows are going to come and go. I think one of the key lessons that we've learned here post-Labor Day, September was a great borrower and issuer-friendly month to access the loan and the bond market. October was really volatile and became a less hospitable environment for people to raise capital. Markets were open. It was just more expensive. And so encourage everyone to remember that volatility isn't going away. Get ready to go to market and look to hit a window as soon as they open. The risk feels asymmetric in terms of cost of capital going wider, a lot more than it gets tighter.
1: Todd, thank you for the thorough read on the markets. Although we do not know what is to come of tomorrow, the current backdrop and supporting technicals seem to support a promising pathway to end the year for both the leveraged loan and high-yield markets. We will very much be looking forward to activities ahead. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today.
2: Kathleen, thanks for the discussion as always. Enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening to What's the Deal? If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to JPMorgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. To stay ahead of the curve, sign up for JPMorgan's In Context newsletter, packed full of market views and expert insights delivered straight to you. To subscribe, just visit jpmorgan.com forward slash in context. This material was prepared by the Investment Banking Group of J.P. Morgan Securities, LLC, and not the firm's research department. It is for informational purposes only and is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase, sale, or tender of any financial instrument.